Josh Pick is the Chief Investment Advisor with Aptus Wealth Management, a state-registered investment advisory firm. This program is sponsored by Aptus Wealth Management. Exposure to ideas and financial vehicles discussed should not be considered investment advice or recommendation to buy or sell financial vehicles. This information should not be considered tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult with professionals to see if any ideas expressed would fit their specific situation. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Securities can fluctuate and when redeemed may be more or less than when originally invested. Welcome to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. Every week, Josh will teach you ways to help manage, risk, and protect your retirement income in the new economy. The primary focus at Aptus Wealth is to provide flexible planning strategies that can efficiently achieve your long-term retirement goals. Besides every Saturday, you can also join Josh Mondays at 12.30 p.m. for Money Mondays with Bruce Hooley right here on 98.9 The Answer. You can always find the recording at aptuswealth.com. To schedule an appointment to go through the Aptus Blueprint process, the Aptus office number is 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Josh, coming off a pretty big weekend for people in Ohio, huh? Uh, yeah, I would say so. I mean, sports-related-wise, it's a pretty big week. Uh, our Bengals, I say ours, I'm not a Bengals fan. but You are now. Uh, I guess I have to be. <laughs> you know, it's a big week for them, so I'm happy for all those Bengals fans out there. We finally, They finally made it to the Super Bowl after how long has it been? 30, 33 years, 34 years, something like that. Was it 1982 or producer Mike? It's been a long 88. time. 88. 88. He just said. I, I stand so everybody, corrected. Obviously, everybody's you know losing their minds over that, so that's good. Yeah, that's for fun. sure. What are you going to do? Are you going to have a Super Bowl party? Are you going to go to one? Are you going to watch the game at home? You know, that's a good question. I don't know. Depends on what time it's played. I'm kind of a pumpkin. I don't stay up real late. I have three kids, but I'm sure we'll, we'll watch it with somebody or at somebody's house or my house. I, I don't know. I haven't thought that far ahead yet. All right. Okay, time to talk your retirement. Josh, when the stock market is struggling, it's not all bad news. What kinds of opportunities can that actually present for investors? There are several. First, let's talk about the market overall and why we're even talking about, you know, bad news and the market is struggling. If you recall back to back in December, I said that uh, there's some pressures that are facing the market. And my prediction was that, you know, the market was going to start to see quite a bit of volatility if we, as we're coming off of, you know, a year with the highest inflation rate in the last 39 years or so. Um, the Fed is faced with some pressures and having to make the decision to start raising interest rates, which they've now announced they anticipate they will start raising interest rates in March. They also announced that the buyback program, they've essentially been buying bonds. So as the federal government needs money, they can issue bonds knowing that they have a bond purchaser on the other end. Um, and they've been purchasing, you know, literally hundreds of billions of dollars per month in bonds. They are going to start halting that program in March as well. Clearly, the market reacted uh, and said, we don't like this. And uh, commodity prices went up. Uh, gold held strong. And the equity markets faced a lot of pressure, uh, particularly growth stocks. So it looks like, although we've come off of this, or at least potentially it looks like we're coming off of this really long run, the longest bull run in history, we may be facing some pretty uncertain times ahead as a result of just general economic conditions. And that doesn't mean that certain stocks won't do really well. Uh, They certainly will. But there is always periods of headwinds and tailwinds in the market, and it certainly appears like we're going into a headwind. So with that, you try and forecast and plan for what can I do to improve my situation in turbulent times. And there are certain things you can obviously do. 
Uh, one would be if you have a certain stock or fund, one of the strategies that you can employ is buying that on the dip or buying that during a crash. Now, that doesn't always work, but it is a strategy. And if you planned on holding that particular stock or share for a really long period of time and you're willing to buy it today, then of course you should be willing to buy it at a 10 or 20% discount if there was that level of correction. Um, the other way you can kind of handle this market volatility is dollar cost averaging. And we all do this inside of our 401ks to some capacity, and that is just systematically investing every month or every pay period, no matter what's going on with the market. And if the market's doing well, we're buying actually, you know, in at a high, arguably. But if the market's doing poorly, then we're buying it at a low. And that general average price through dollar cost averaging is to our benefit. And we're looking at it like the stocks are down, but at least we're getting it on a sale price. Correct. We are, our objective is accumulating shares in companies that we want to own. And sometimes that'll be on sale and sometimes it'll be a little bit more expensive, but it doesn't take away from the fact that we believe that the long-term outlook for these companies is very strong. Now, that's kind of an accumulation level strategy. But what if you already have accumulated all of your money and now you're in this position of, I'm trying to distribute this money out over time and I'm terribly worried about market volatility as it relates to maybe my income, or I just want to make sure that this million dollar or 500,000 or whatever number it is, nest egg, doesn't go from you know, a 401k to a 201k overnight by losing half of my money, which happened back from you know, late 07 into 2009. People literally lost half their money through the financial housing crisis or the financial crisis, which was spurred by the housing market. Then you rewind back to, let's say, 2001, 2002. If you were over leveraged in the dot coms or the NASDAQ level stocks, you saw half of your money go away there too, if not more. So there's certainly been a lot of times when market volatility has been a problem. But what I'm hearing even more often is what people are concerned about is how do I make sure that I will be able to handle the level of inflation that I anticipate is coming, which we already just set, you know, 39-year high last year, knowing that we might be in this period of market volatility. How do, I, how do I plan for that volatility while drawing income? And there's a bunch of different strategies to handle that. Obviously, you know, planning is key, but one of them would be hunt for dividend stocks during these volatile times. Dividends, again, are just ways, almost like a bank pays interest, companies that are well-established and, let's say, cash-generating companies. Think of the, the Coca-Colas and the Procter & Gambles and all of these well-established companies pay dividends. That is a way with, by which you can achieve a level of income while the market may be, may be very volatile and you don't have to sell the stock. And fortunately for you, Value stocks or dividend stocks, as we call them, have been out of favor for quite some time. And that shift just started to occur at the tail end of last uh, year, where there's a very uh, definitive shift between growth stocks and value. And value stocks typically do better in times of rising interest rates than growth stocks, at least historically speaking. And then, you know, one other thing, just so we have another strategy that we can employ to maybe better our situation is, We've had a heck of a run in a lot of stocks here as of late. Many people would like to lessen their position in certain stocks. Maybe you were, you know, the stock has been going from generation to generation, or maybe you're just overweighted in one stock and you'd like to reduce that position, but you don't want to sell it at such a large capital gain. If the market does pull back, that would be an opportunity to lessen the blow, not necessarily run for the hills and get out of the market, but reallocate 
at less of a burden because unfortunately you've suffered a loss in that stock. So you can do, you know, a little bit of tax harvesting as we call. So selling some losers or, or selling some winners and some losers together, offsetting those losses and then reinvesting back in the market. So all is not lost in market volatility. Annuities is another thing that, you know, when losses are prevalent, you can take advantage of selling that annuity out and taking a uh, an income loss on that deferred annuity and then reinvesting it. So no matter what period in the market cycle we're in, there's always something you can do to better your situation. And do a lot of people look forward to it, as you say, for the tax benefits if they want to unload some stock, but just the fact that they can buy in cheaper and still have that uh, not appreciation, what's the word? Yeah. So you're, you're talking about, we call it buying the dips or selling the rallies is kind of the two things. So in buying the dips, for example, last year proved to be a tremendous strategy. I mean, literally every time the market went down, if you bought in, you were rewarded handsomely because the market kept on setting new highs. There is a challenge there, though. And there's an old adage that, you know, we kind of hear in the market, and that is that bull markets are climbed on a ladder of fear, meaning that when the market is charging and charging, people people don't want to believe it. They go, this, this can't go any higher. It can't possibly go any higher. But those bull markets continue to set new and new records, even throughout that fear. The problem is on the reverse side, they say that bear markets are littered with a river of hope, meaning that if this truly becomes a bear market, there will be many, many periods where the market goes down, it climbs back up, and everybody will have hope to say, oh, finally, it's over. We can rest and know that we've gotten through this. But the fact of the matter is in bear markets, there will be many, many rallies and subsequent further and further drops. So while buying into the rally is a great strategy, if you have a time, long-term committed strategy towards an individual position or an individual strategy, that will work well over time. But if you're, you know, you've been romanticized into this thing that the stock market does nothing but go up because it's happened over the last 10 or 12 years, and the market has actually trained you into believing that that's the only way it can go, you can be left with more and more losses. And eventually what ends up happening is people who don't have the education base or don't have a proper plan in place that they're committed to, they end up finally reaching a point of no return where they say, I can't take this anymore. And they sell out and they sell out at the bottom. And how do I know it's the bottom? Because usually a bottom is marked by a mass sell-off of investors that aren't committed. It's really a crazy thing, Diane, but that's what happens. So the takeaway in this is, you have to have a strategy in place that you are committed to for the long run, or I believe over the next couple of years, there's going to be some people that unfortunately um, get hurt and hurt to the tune of really negatively affecting their long-term goals. You're listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. To schedule your own planning session and to learn new strategies to manage risk, call Josh at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Josh, so there may be some opportunities here and there during a market pullback, but are there some tried and true things that we should do with our portfolio to tune it up in, in certain times like this? Absolutely. So anytime there's a, remember I said there's two kind of strategies that people believe in, and that is, you know, sell the rally or buy into the dip. Well, that sell the rally theory does not necessarily mean that you have to sell and get out entirely. But what it does mean is now is a tremendous time when we're faced with this adversity and we're wondering what is in store for the market to really take stock and uh, I guess pun intended, but take inventory and reevaluate 
your strategy. So is now a good time to reevaluate the level of risk you're taking? Is your allocation proper? You know, up until this point, you've been able to get away, you know, quote unquote, with basically any strategy. You could have just thrown a dart at a dartboard and won pretty well. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to hold true for the next several years. You know, bonds are negative on the year, negative last year. The stock market's at all-time highs, keeps on resetting. Am I overvalued in growth? Remember what I said earlier that there's growth stocks and value stocks. Growth, think of the Teslas, the Amazons of the world. Value, think of the more quote-unquote boring, stodgy companies like the Procter & Gamble's and Coca-Cola's. Not suggesting you buy those individual shares. I'm just saying that if you've held one versus the other, you've become unbalanced. Growth stocks have absolutely dominated the growth of the market over the last 10 years. So now is it a good time to start reevaluating back towards value? Well, why would I want to do that? Because it looks like there's a repositioning of value where valuations in dividend stocks look much more attractive than valuations in growth stocks. On top of that, it's a way for us to, even in a flat market, achieve some sort of yield via dividends. You know, do I want to reevaluate my, my uh, positions in bonds? Really, I think the takeaway here is now is a great time to look at where you are today and say, is it still where I want to be? Maybe in spite of myself, I've done very well in the market, but that might not hold true moving forward. To schedule an appointment to go through the Aptis Blueprint process with Josh, his number is 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. And you can always join Josh as he talks retirement with Bruce Hooley, Mondays at 12.30 p.m. right here on 98.9 The Answer. You can always find that recording at aptiswealth.com. More with Josh Pick when we come back. We'll be back with more at the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick at 98.9 The Answer. To create a successful retirement plan in today's economy, it takes a customized, solutions-based approach. At Aptus Wealth Management, founder Josh Pick calls it the Aptus Blueprint, and it's focused on managing risk instead of chasing returns. If you're working with another advisor or simply want a second opinion, put his team to work for you. To schedule a complimentary consultation to learn more about the Aptus Blueprint process, contact Josh at 614-364-7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. There is no cost or obligation, but space is limited. To start your plan, call 614-364-7300. 7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. Thanks for listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Welcome back to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your own planning session and to learn new strategies to manage risk, call Josh at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Josh, when it comes to Medicare, do you think people overestimate or underestimate the costs most often? I think typically it's an overestimate, but I would say arguably both. People, I think, have somewhat polarizing views on what their healthcare costs are going to be throughout their retirement years. They either have this opinion that Medicare is awful and it's not going to cover anything or Medicare covers everything rather than the realistic answer, which is Medicare is a pretty good program, but it certainly has its faults and it doesn't mean that it's dirt cheap. You know, the average American is going to spend about $6,000 a year on health care coverage to some capacity. I'm talking about, you know, insurance premiums, your co-pays, your medical services, your drugs, all that stuff. About 6000 bucks a year per person in retirement. Now, that may sound very inexpensive or it may sound very expensive, but 
there's some things that you need to do to keep that number pretty steadfast and steady. And the big concern that I hear from most people in retirement is feeling like they have no idea what their health care costs are going to be. And oftentimes because of that lack of an idea, you'll see people do somewhat irrational things like hold several hundred thousand dollars in a checking account for the, well, you never know just in case because of health care. And the likelihood of that occurring if you do proper planning and you get the proper things in place in retirement uh, from a healthcare front is very unlikely. So what we do know, though, is um, people are spending about 15, 20% of their total retirement income budget purely in healthcare. So obviously it's a big number. But let's walk through kind of how this works. When it comes to Medicare, you have Part A, which is your hospitalization, essentially. And you have Part B, which is your uh, doctor's visits. Uh, everybody gets Part A for free. Part B, everybody has to pay. And that fee that you pay is based upon how much income you have. The baseline being about 150 bucks a month, but it can careen all the way up to almost $500 a month, uh, depending upon how much income you have. Now, before you panic and say, well, holy, $500 a month per person, if there's a husband and wife, if it's $1,000 a month just for Part B, your income has to be very, very high or you have to have a terrible accountant that files you separately and gets you caught in a trap. So let's just assume that everybody's paying, for the most part, between that $150 and $200 a month. Then beyond that, you have to get either a, you don't have to, but I recommend you get either a supplement or Medicare Advantage to fill in these gaps, meaning that Medicare by itself will cover certain things like any health plan. But, you know, there might be a copay or there might be an deductible for certain fees. And if you get a supplement or an advantage plan, you can cover some of those deductibles and you can and some of those copays. And you can cover as much as you really want to all the way up to basically all of it with a very, very small annual deductible. So you can really fix those costs as much as you want. Now, clearly, if you want to get to a point where you have no out-of-pocket uh, costs beyond your supplement, your supplement's going to be more expensive. And then you need your prescription drug coverage, which if you have Medicare Advantage is covered within that, or you can get kind of a a la carte prescription drug coverage. Now, I think, you know, the point that I'm trying to make here is when it becomes, uh, when you're in retirement and most people describe themselves as somewhat of, of being on a fixed income, you know, I have a certain amount of resources, I have social security, maybe a pension, but I can't go off the rails and have a $20,000 unforeseen medical expense you probably want to get a reasonably robust supplement to somewhat, if not entirely, fix, fix your costs. Meaning that your, I didn't see that one coming, is as limited as possible. And if you do that, while your monthly charge will go up, those anomaly, anomaly charges will be very few and far between, if ever. So I don't think that people understand the supplement end of this puzzle which is why it's important to get with somebody who's kind of an expert in this field. And there's certainly people that focus just on Medicare supplements and Medicare Advantage. Um, we can obviously point you in a direction to help you there, but I highly recommend you contact somebody to get that uh, level of understanding. The one, uh, Diane, that I think people have even more confusion on is long-term care. And long-term care can careen out of control very, very quickly without proper planning. And I would say that long-term care planning would require an entire radio show to cover. But know this. Everybody has a long-term care plan that's listening. Uh, it's just a matter of whether or not you have a plan that's actually going to help you or your plan is spend all your money until you're broke 
and then Medicaid will pick up the tab. So you need to understand how assets are treated in the event of long-term care. Make sure that your assets are positioned to your advantage and or buy a long-term care insurance policy to help pick up some of that slack to make sure that if it is a husband and wife scenario, one spouse is not left in financial ruin because one spouse had to go spend some time in a nursing home. And Medicare will not pick up the long-term tab on that at all. So make sure that you do your investigating, do planning, which is always part of our blueprint process, and make sure that you have all your ducks in a row. Okay, Josh, when you say having your assets positioned, can you give us an example of where that would be to the detriment of a person? Yeah, yeah. So let's say, for example, this would be the ideal scenario. The ideal scenario, and of course, this comes down to your opinions on you know asset repositioning and whether or not you're comfortable with this, but the way that the rules work in Ohio as of today, and first, disclosure, I'm not an attorney, and obviously we would use a attorney license in the state of Ohio to help us with this, but let's just say that you had all of your money in a proper trust, and you had that money in a trust for the period of five years, and then you went into a nursing home. If the money was allocated correctly, um, it is very possible that you will look absolutely broke on paper, which means Medicaid would have to pick up the tab. Now, does that mean that you're necessarily being greedy and trying to take advantage of the system? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe your condition is one that, uh, while Medicare, uh, Medicaid pays a large chunk of it, it does not cover everything that you need for your care. So this buys you options and opportunities. On the flip side, it would also say that in the event that you stay in a long-term care facility for a really long period of time, assets are available for the surviving spouse. So on one hand, you have all of my assets are completely attachable by a long-term care facility, meaning that we'll have to spend through all of my assets. On the other hand, you could say all of my assets are, to some degree, protected from a long-term care facility. Now, the latter is not always entirely possible, of course. There are certain assets that you can move in and out of a trust. Again, not an attorney. However, the answer is usually a combination of both somewhere in the middle to somewhat protect ourselves, but put us back in the driver's seat. So, you know, are all assets created equal? Ones that are held in your name are very much attachable. Ones that are not held in your name are not nearly as attachable. So we'll leave it at that for now, but know that uh, the process can be complicated, but it can put you back in the driver's seat, which is, I think, what everybody wants to be in. And as you said, Josh, you take people, this is one of the the items that you discuss with people when they come to you and you go through the Aptus Blueprint process. Of course. You know, I mean, when it comes to financial planning, I think oftentimes that is misconstrued as I can get a better investment return than the other person that you're working with. And that's just simply not the case. While investment returns are obviously very important, the other piece of the puzzles, the other pieces of the puzzle, excuse me, that are very important are things like taxes, long-term care planning. What if something happens to one of us? Is the other spouse protected? How do I pass this money on to my kids in the most efficient way possible or my charity? Um, There's many, many pieces to the financial planning puzzle that can really move the needle in a very impactful way that have nothing to do with overall rate of return. This is the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your own planning session and to learn new strategies to manage risk, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Okay, I'm going to go back to Medicare here for a moment. Josh, if it does end up costing a pretty penny, what are some strategies to minimize that potentially stressful bill? Well, I mean, obviously one is, you know, get the proper supplement. The other one is, you know, when you're in your early years, you can contribute to an HSA, but 
you know, the, the easy ones, the easy ones that don't even require a lot of planning is make sure you enroll on time. You know, for example, if you forget to enroll and you're in Medicare Part D, there is a penalty, I believe it's 10%, don't quote me on that, but there's a penalty that lasts for the rest of your life. So if you want to save money in your prescription drugs, I can't think of an easier way than to just enroll on time. Um, the other one would be, obviously, choose the right plan. So rather than just listening to your neighbor, your friend, somebody heard on an elevator, say, you know what, I picked plan, option, whatever, and you go, well, he seemed pretty smart, so I'm going to go ahead and pick that. Make sure you do your own research on how it applies to you. And I'm going to use the prescription drug thing again because it's an easy example. Not everybody's on the same prescriptions. Well, certain prescription drug plans cover certain prescriptions more than others. So it might make sense for you to get a little bit more of an expensive, robust plan because the prescriptions that you're going to take for the rest of your life are more covered on that plan. So easy ways would be sign up on time, get the right plan. The other one would be, and we covered this earlier, you know, make sure you get the right supplement. Not everybody's created equal. You know, maybe you never go to the doctor, maybe go to the doctor all the time. Make sure you pick the right supplement that applies to you. And then lastly, and this is one that is, is, is a, a shocker for most people that come into my office. They say, are you taking advantage of, of some of the discounts uh, in the free stuff that's available to you just because you're at that age, you're at that season of your life? For example, the Silver Sneakers program around here. You know, uh, there are many gym gyms for, you know, just going and working out that provide incredibly discounted rates to people that are just over the age of 65. There are free programs that are available out there, like med checks and um, all sorts of different things that are available to you that you can get entirely for free just because you're in that season of your life. So the way that you can reduce costs are find free stuff. That's a pretty cheap cost. Um, you just got to go looking. And obviously, we can help point you in some directions, but uh, it just takes a little bit of legwork on your end, and you can really reduce the cost of pretty much everything as it relates to healthcare. Do you remember back in the day where there, there was that big encyclopedia thing of that guy on TV who had that whole book of free stuff? Do you remember that? I don't know. But, you know, I mean, it, it stands to reason that it's, everything's available out there. I mean, you can get your, if you have a pretty simple tax return, you know, there are plenty of centers around that if you're over the age of 65, will do your taxes for free. You know, so if you have a simple tax return, don't feel like you even have to go to H&R Block to do that. I'm sure H&R Block would hate me saying that. But there might be free resources available for you to get your taxes done. You just got to do a little bit of investigation. Absolutely. To schedule an appointment to go through the Aptis Blueprint process, the Aptis phone number is 614-364-7300. I struck a chord with our producer, Mike. He, he pulled up the encyclopedia. What's the name of the guy? This guy's name is Matthew Lesko. He's the, he's the guy with all the question marks on his suit, like pointing at the U.S. Yeah, Capitol. Yeah, I ordered that book. I got a book of free stuff. Lots of free stuff. All <laughs> right. Oh, is he the one with the terrible suit that had like question marks yeah. all over it? Yeah, yeah I know who you're talking about. I yeah. love that guy. All right, you're listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. More when we come back. If you're concerned about the market and you want to learn new strategies to manage retirement risks, call our office to learn more about the Aptus Retirement Blueprint today at 614-364-7300. There's no cost or obligation, but space fills fast. Give us a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Thanks for listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. 
Welcome back to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your own planning session and to learn new strategies to manage risk, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Josh, studies show debt is becoming more prevalent for older Americans. Is that always a bad thing or is there some debt that we should actually keep? Well, you know, the old adage is, uh, if you listen to anybody's parents, they'd say, when you retire, make sure that your house is paid off. And, you know, obviously having your house paid off would be ideal. Going into retirement completely and utterly debt-free would be ideal. But for certain folks, unfortunately, it's just not in the cards. And, you know, there's many people that come into my office who still have, you know, 25 years left on their mortgage and they're 65 years old. Now, could we aggressively try and pay that off? Sure. And by the time they're, you know, 90 years old or 85 years old, they'll have it knocked out. But should you sacrifice all of the, the, you know, the next 10 years of enjoyment just so you can say when you're 85, you have your house paid off? Well, I think the answer is pretty clear. The answer is no. Um, So we have to come up with strategies to kind of blend the fact that it's just a simple fact that, you know, about three quarters of older Americans in the United States now have debt. You know, maybe that wasn't the case. If we rewind the clock back, it looks like about 50% of people back in the, you know, late 80s, early 90s that were retiring have debt. So clearly we all have more debt. So it is what it is. You know, there's another phenomenon that I'm starting to see is people retiring with student loan debt, which for many people listening might sound crazy, but it's just a simple fact. There's been plenty of people who have gone back to uh, get a second career. Hopefully that career brought them a lot of happiness, but the price of education is not cheap. And if you're financing your loans over 20 years and you decided to go back to college to start that new career in your 40s, it's very possible that you still have student loans. Now, student loans are a little bit more difficult, but let's let's cover just kind of the mortgage because I think it, it points towards um, the difference between purely thinking about retirement as a balance sheet versus thinking about retirement in the terms of cash flow. So when we wanna pay off everything, we wanna do that because we want the right side of our balance sheet, our liabilities to read zero. We want our, you know, that balance sheet to say, asset, 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 liability zero, and I am quote unquote debt free. However, we don't live our lives in terms of our balance sheet. Quite frankly, your, your day-to-day life doesn't care if you're worth a million or $2 million. Now, there might be some emotional comfort in knowing that you have no debt, but at the end of the day, you live day in and day out based upon your cash flow. So the objective, if you know that that debt being paid off really isn't feasible, it should be about how do I maximize cash flow? How do I make that debt as low as possible? Let me give an example. You bought that new house, you're 70 years old, and you bought a 15-year mortgage because there's no way that you're going to pay a 30-year. So good news, you're going to have that house paid off when you're 85. And I guess your kids are going to inherit more. But why wouldn't you do a 30-year mortgage and have lower payment? You're not going to pay it off until life expectancy anyway. You might as well have more money to live on today. It's not going to move the needle on your day-to-day life knowing that it's going to be paid off when you're 85. So let's focus on cash flow. Is there a way that we can take those student loans that maybe you're on a 10-year payment cycle and roll them in with a mortgage and stretch those payments out over 30 years. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh, Lord, I'm going to pay so much more in interest. This is awful. I don't want to pay three times what I took out in student loans, only two times. But again, this is about quality of life and cash flow. So if we can strain our investments and our income less 
because we have a lower payment, aren't we living a better life? And I know this is counterintuitive to what many people have heard over the years, but again, I'm focusing on the scenario where we're not going to pay these things off until probably, you know, life expectancy, maybe past, maybe a little bit before, but what is the rush in paying something off the day before you die and sacrificing your day-to-day life to do so? And I feel like I'm probably beating a dead horse a little bit here, but I want to make sure that we take in this concept of we live on cash flow, not on balance sheet. And our objective is always to create a predictable cash flow and live the best life we possibly can. So sometimes that means, quite frankly, not just leaving debt alone, but managing it and taking out further than you probably feel comfortable doing so that we can put an extra 500,000 bucks a month back in your pocket to enjoy life with. What about those getting ready for retirement? Would you say uh, not pay that off so much into your house and use that extra money to invest? Um, Yes and no. Uh, This depends on individual scenario, obviously. And I'll give you kind of some pendulum, uh, you know, opposites where I think it'll make it pretty clear. Let's say that you have, you know, $5 million in your 401k, but you have a $200,000 mortgage. Well, obviously you have the money to pay off your mortgage, right? I mean, it seems pretty clear if I have $5 million, it's 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 a drop in the bucket. But if that $5 million is in your 401k, you would have to liquidate $200,000 from your 401k and pay taxes on that before you paid off the mortgage. Now, let's just say for argument's sake that those taxes are 30%. That's a pretty steep bill to pay when you can get a mortgage that's currently at below 3% potentially. So would it make more sense to stretch that mortgage out over a few years? Now, I'm not saying necessarily take out a 30-year mortgage in that example, but would it make sense to pay it out over three or maybe five years? get a shorter term mortgage? The answer is probably yes. It depends on your scenario. But the flip side of that equation would be, what if you have a million dollars sitting in your checking account earning zero interest and you're holding on to it because it just feels good, but you have a three or 4% mortgage that has $200,000 on it. So you're earning nothing and paying three or 4%. In that scenario, it definitely benefits you to pay off the mortgage. And then there's shades of gray in the middle, right, Diane? So every individual scenario is different, and we have to do some investigating to come up with proper plans. But the point is, it's not as simple as just saying everybody should always pay off their mortgage or everybody should always carry a mortgage. It's individual. But that isn't a really good soundbite on, you know, uh, TikTok, or it isn't a really good soundbite on the local news. So again, like usual, you got to dive in a little deeper. I feel attacked about that TikTok comment. All right. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> this is the app. Some people get their news, right? Right, right. This is the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your own planning session and to learn new strategies to manage risk, Josh's number is 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. So, Josh, let's say someone has considerable assets that they may want to leave to family members and loved ones when they pass. When looking at trust, what can and or can't uh, be included? So trust can be a very useful tool, but it's important to remember that it's just a tool. And I guess I should give my standard disclosure that I'm not an attorney and obviously we would want to bring one in to lend credibility to everything that I'm saying. And obviously we work with a lot of attorneys that, you know, we don't refer to. They just, clients bring them to us. So we're very adept at these types of conversations because we have them all the time. But a trust in general is a tool where you can do two things. Number one, there are three things really. Number one, you can bypass probate, which everybody is trying to avoid probate. And probate is the process 
that is run by the courts that determines or pays out your will according to your wishes. Now, why would you want to avoid that? Well, it takes time and there are costs associated with it. So anything that we can do to avoid probate, the better. And a trust certainly does that. The other thing that a trust does is it allows you to govern how funds are received from the grave. We call it governance from the grave, meaning you have that one child that's fiscally prudent and you could leave half of your money to them and they would do the best thing with it. But then you have this other child that would blow it all on uh, foolish things and blow through your money very, very quickly, right? So you want to make sure that you have the ability to control how they receive that money so that it goes to the intended purpose that you want it to go to. So you have the ability to kind of dictate how that money is spent. And then the third one, and why you know people use them for long-term care, et cetera, is that it has an asset protection element to it, meaning that monies in a trust, if properly structured, are essentially no longer your funds, so they are not attachable by certain things, whether that be a lawsuit or long-term care. So obviously there's some, there's some logic behind putting money into a trust, but there's also some detriments. Um, one detriment would be tax bracket, for example. If you earn money to get in the top tax bracket, you have to earn north of a half a million bucks. A trust is a mere fraction of that. Think of you know earning money of more than $15,000. If it stays in the trust, your trust gets taxed at the top tax bracket. So there are some certain detriments to it. But again, it all requires proper planning. But you asked me specifically what can and can't be put in a trust or what shouldn't be put in a trust. Well, trust can be restrictive, particularly if you're trying to do asset protection or preservation. So, you know, one thing you can and can't put in it would be the cash in the bank. You can absolutely put that in it. No problem. Your 401k, you cannot put qualified money like a 401k inside of a trust before you cleanse that money of taxes. And by cleanse, I mean you liquidate your 401k. You pay taxes on all of it before you put it in the trust. Well, I've yet to meet anybody who wants to pull the ripcord on a million dollar 401k today to move the money to a trust for asset protection, unless they're already maybe in a long-term care facility. So, you know, not all assets are create, created equal and you certainly don't wanna move everything into the trust. What are some things that, at least in my experience, are very logical to move into a trust? Well, your house. Your house makes all the sense in the world. If you're living there, it's a pretty sticky asset. We don't buy and sell houses overnight. Um, you know, the cumbersome fact that you may have to do a little bit extra paperwork when you sell it really isn't that big of a deal. Um, and it's really easy and relatively inexpensive to cover your house in a trust and add that level of protection to it. Um, other things would be assets that you've already earmarked that you know are going to go somewhere else at your passing. You don't want them nor need them. So I am definitely going to leave my kids this particular account. I've already done planning and I know I'm never going to use it. Perfect asset to throw in a trust. Um, you know, things you don't probably don't want to put into a trust. Uh, it would be awful cumbersome to put your daily driver car into a trust. By the time you go to sell it, it's just gonna be a huge pain in the butt if it makes sense at all to even put it in there to begin with. So you have to tread a little bit lightly, but I think the takeaway is a lot of uh, people have heard the term trust and it sounds very fancy and it sounds like something I should probably have because rich people have those things. When in reality, uh, it may not make any sense at all. Um, and there's unfortunately too many times, Diane, I've had people come to my office and they're very proud of their trust. It's a very beautiful leather binder. And uh, they say, you know, I got this trust. It cost me $5,000 and uh, thank God I have it. And I open it up. And the part that they don't understand is you actually have to put stuff in the trust for the trust to work, but nothing's been placed in the trust. They just have a really pretty leather, leather binder. So it's important for us to determine a plan, coordinate with, you know, legal professionals 
uh, with attorneys, et cetera, and make sure that it makes sense, number one, and number two, that we use it appropriately. Wouldn't their attorney, quick question, because we're running out of time here, why wouldn't the attorney tell them that they need to put stuff in the trust? Well, you know, I'm not here to speculate, but you know that old adage. If you did, you know, though. They, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, they they say, what, the, what do you call the last person in medical school in the rank of, uh, you know, students? You still call them doctor? Um, you know, not all attorneys are created equal, Diane. That, that's a simple fact of it. You know, unfortunately, not all people in general are created equal in the way that their ethics work. So some people, quite frankly, sell trust. I hate to say that an attorney would sell something because we view them as consultants and professionals, but sometimes that happens. And I'm certainly not throwing the legal profession under the bus here, but sometimes it happens. Or sometimes, let's defend the attorney, sometimes the attorney said, hey, here's these extra pages. Remember, you have to follow through and put these things in the trust. And the client dropped the ball and didn't do it. So the important part is that accountability has to be maintained by both people, your financial planner or investment advisor, and also your accounting and legal teams. And it's important that we do constant reviews, which is why we meet with clients every, you know, every six months to make sure that that follow through has occurred. Because without that level of accountability and that level of measurability, then we're just spinning our wheels. We're not, we're not actually stepping in the right direction. To schedule an appointment to go through the Aptus Blueprint process, Josh's number is 614-364-7300. That is 614-364-7300. You can always join Josh as he talks retirement with Bruce Hooley, Mondays at 1230 p.m. right here on 98.9 The Answer. You always find that recording at aptuswealth.com. And more with Josh Pick when we come back. We'll be back with more at the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick at 98.9 The Answer. To create a successful retirement plan in today's economy, it takes a customized, solutions-based approach. At Aptus Wealth Management, founder Josh Pick calls it the Aptus Blueprint, and it's focused on managing risk instead of chasing returns. If you're working with another advisor or simply want a second opinion, put his team to work for you. To schedule a complimentary consultation to learn more about the Aptus Blueprint process, contact Josh at 614-364-7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. There is no cost or obligation, but space is limited. To start your plan, call 614-364-7300. 7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. Welcome back to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your own planning session, to learn new strategies to manage risk, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That is 614-364-7300. Let's talk rising interest rates, Josh. They can be bad news for some, but can it also be good news for others? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, it's bad news for people that are, let's say, going to get a mortgage. If interest rates go up, mortgage rates go up, then your payment goes up on the same price of a home. And most people aren't paying cash for homes, um, at least, you know, in most of America, that's not occurring. So that's obviously bad for people buying homes. It's also bad for people who need to take out debt for some reason. And that could be, uh, you know, student loan debt. It could be um, I need to get a, uh, a loan on a car. It could be any any borrower is set to have a negative outcome as a result of, of rising interest rates. But the flip side is true for people who are saving money. Rising interest rates will obviously reward you much more handsomely for having money in the bank. I mean, we've gotten pretty used to earning nothing for having money in the bank. And if interest rates go up, then that means that the bank will start paying you more on your cash. Um, that could come in a form of CDs, savings, money markets, all of those things. The other people who potentially will get hurt are spenders, you know, just spenders in general. If you've had a problem with 
you know, acquiring too much debt or any of those things, you're going to be harmed by rising interest rates. And savers, again, are going to benefit, but not universally. And what I mean by that is how does rising interest rates affect, let's say, the stock market, for example? And I would say that uh, it's, it's time to be weary. And that doesn't necessarily mean that every time the interest rates go up, the stock market falters and does terribly. Uh, there's some mixed reactions throughout history on that. But what it does mean is that certain companies will not be able to be as profitable. And companies are just like people, you know, on a large scale, essentially. You know, if you want to build something and you need to go borrow the money to build it, and then you turn around and sell it as a person, that's no different than a company needing to borrow money to build its widgets or whatever they build to turn around and sell it. Well, if that carrying cost of borrowing money goes up, then one of two things has to happen. The cost of that good has to go up to accommodate for that if we want to keep the same profit, which, again, hurts spenders, people that are buying things, because those costs are now more expensive. And if they're financing it, well, then now we have this huge trickle-down effect, right? Or they have to lower their profit, meaning that they're going to sell that widget for the same cost, but their cost of goods sold goes up. So ultimately, when rates rise, companies that are based upon uh, credit will get harmed to some capacity, or they will not get harmed, but the consumers get harmed. So where in that chain that falls, we don't know. But certainly, uh, rising interest rates do not create a great environment for spenders and companies who create things or build things or need credit. This is the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. To schedule your own planning session and to learn new strategies to manage risk, call Josh at 614-364-7300. That is 614-364-7300. Josh, preparing for potentially changing rates sounds like a smart part of a plan. What are some of the most commonly overlooked elements of a plan that you need to address when working through the Aptus Blueprint process with clients? The biggest one for sure that I see that I think is just underserved in my industry overall is how to create an efficient distribution plan for income. Uh, My industry is vastly dominated by the accumulation phase of the retirement process, meaning that there's millions of companies fighting over your savings dollars. You know, save with our mutual fund because we're the best and let me show you our rates of return. Here's how we, you know, here's our strategy to mitigate risk, which will help you ensure that your glide path for your investments is better than mutual fund B. And there's this fight for how do we get assets under management so that we can make this trail-based income as an industry, whether that's the advisor or it's the mutual fund company, or the insurance company, or whomever it is, it all comes down to the sales process of a product. Where we're missing out, particularly as we have baby boomers retiring you know, every single day, and a huge shift in our overall country demographic of retirees, for the first time that have to be reliant upon 401ks as opposed to pensions. So this is the, really the first wave, big wave, of retirees that are truly in control of their own retirement. They are left to come up with the answers on their own. They don't have a company paying them a pension, taking care of them for the rest of their life, coupled with Social Security and maybe a few CDs that are paying, you know, six, seven, eight, nine percent in interest. Their retirements are large in part hinged on 
making sure that it's allocated correctly amongst investments to drive an income that they cannot outlive that adjusts for inflation. Truly one of the first, I mean, a, a, a seismic shift in the retirement landscape. And the industry is just now starting to catch up with how does one do that efficiently? And it's not as simple as just saying, I'm going to take 4% out and keep my investments allocated the way that they are today. How do we control the potential negative effect on income of volatility? How do we control the fact that as interest rates go up, bond prices are affected negatively, and I'm in the 2020 fund, which automatically allocates a huge chunk of my portfolio to bonds to try and offset risk? But really, if we're in the environment that we're in with interest rates, that could be the anchor behind the boat. So how do I accommodate for the fact that now I have, you know, historically high inflation, as we look at it over the last 40 years, I have the lowest rate of risk-free return in the way of CDs or bond returns, and I have a market that's arguably coming off of one of the longest bull runs in the history of the stock market. How do I take all of those potential landmines and navigate them into an income distribution plan that I can count on for the rest of my life. That segment or that part of the plan is drastically underserved, which is why that's exclusively what we focus on here, because I think it is underserved. So, you know, and any good business should drive towards an underserved market. Those other things are important, but without a strategy to mitigate all of those risks, those other things don't, they don't get you there. They could, they could, but you're flipping a coin. So, so much of the Aptus blueprint process is about driving towards that. We need to create that predictable income, minimizing risk as much as possible, and creating a laddered strategy that you can count on so that you're not just flipping a coin and hoping when you're 80, you don't run out of money. And let's go through the, the steps of the blueprint process. Sure. It's a, it's a four-step process. Meeting one is simply just finding out about you and your goals and, just like I said, your income needs and helping guide people through the process of what their income needs even are. You know, does a budget look like I pay $53 a month for my cable, so I'm going to budget $53? Or is there another way to kind of come up with a logical income that I will need to live a happy retirement? And then finding out all the resources and all the things you're doing to accomplish that today. Meeting two is simply finding out if you continue to do what you're doing, we call it the analysis meeting, will your arrow hit the target? And then meeting number three, we're going to address all the potential uh, risks that you may have and fine tune your plan and redirect the ship to minimize your risk of failing and maximize your chance of success over time. And if you haven't figured it out by now, at no point in this process, if I said, in meeting number three, we're going to try and sell you something. In meeting number two, we're going to try and sell you something. This is not a sales process. This is an interview process between you and I to see if this is a good consultative fit. If it is, then in the end of meeting number three, beginning of meeting number four, we'll talk about what that process looks like. We're fiduciaries, so everything's going to be transparent. You'll be well aware of what that process looks like and, and what a future working with us would look like, but I can assure you that through the process, you will learn a lot more about your situation and strategies to help improve it. If we want to take the next step after that, great. If not, I assure you you've learned a lot along the way. In step two, are people worried about looking at their picture? Are they, are they scared of that answer, that they may not hit the target if they keep going? Uh, all the time, yeah. I mean, 
and sometimes rightfully so, of course, but oftentimes not. And, you know, one of the huge rewards I get in this job is giving people that sense of well-being and peace, right? Giving them that sense of, I am going to be okay. And oftentimes, while the scenario might be bad, it's not nearly as bad as they think it is. And oftentimes, people will come in and think it's great, and they've been living kind of a dream up to this point. It's not that great. So it kind of lands all over the spectrum. But I think there is no harm, only benefit in understanding the reality, right? If we're, if we're overly optimistic, we're going to get burnt one day. And that's not good for you, even though maybe up until that point, you, you had this utopic belief that you'd be fine. But then also living in fear for the rest of your life when you didn't need to was bad. So knowing the truth is always good. And, uh, you know, it's taken probably 20 plus years, but I promise you I can, I can uh, convey that to you in, in a way that is positive and moving in the right direction regardless. And I love that you're a one-stop shop, you know, for if people want to leave a legacy, if people want to address their tax issues, it's, it, they can do so all in one place. Yeah, I mean, it's important that we coordinate with, you know, outside counsel on a lot of things. And, you know, through a 20 plus year career in this industry, you certainly develop relationships with all those those people. And, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, use me as the resource to know that I've worked with a bunch of different people over the years. You certainly make some mistakes on people that are better than others. But once you've been doing this for a really long time, you create solid relationships of truly trusted pros in the industries that they are respectively in and we can alleviate that 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 learning curve on your behalf so you're not wasting money i've already wasted all my money for you so let's point you in the direction of the right people excellent besides this show every weekend you can also join josh mondays at 12 30 p.m for money mondays with bruce hooley right here on 98.9 the answer you can always find that recording at josh's website which is aptuswealth.com and to schedule an appointment to go through the Aptus Blueprint process, what we've just been talking about, give Josh's office a call. That phone number is 614-364-7300. That is 614-364-7300. That's it for today. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. Again, catch Josh Monday. Like I said, we'll be back for this show the same time next week. Who day? Is that right? Who day? Who day? You've been listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint radio show with host Josh Pick. Josh helps guide his clients through retirement by managing risk instead of chasing returns. He calls it a blueprint, and you can get started at no cost or obligation. Give the team at Aptus Wealth a call today to schedule your consultation at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300 or online at aptuswealth.com. That's A-P-T-U-S wealth.com. To learn strategies to manage risk in the new economy, join us again next weekend right here at 98.9 The Answer. Any comments regarding safe and secure investments and guaranteed income streams refer only to fixed insurance products. They do not refer in any way to securities or investment advisory products. Fixed insurance and annuity product guarantees are subject to the claims paying ability of the issuing company.